Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Iowa is home to nine area education agencies. For many Iowans, these are an invisible part of our school system. For others, they are an essential lifeline, providing services for some students from birth through the age of 21. In the upcoming legislative session, Iowa Republicans have pledged to do a thorough audit of Iowa's area education agencies. On IPR, we will be covering that audit and its findings. But today, we're talking about the role of AEAs in Iowa schools and the lives of Iowans. Later in the show, I'll talk with parents and educators about their experiences. We'd also love to hear from you this hour. You can send an email to talk about your experiences with the AEA in your area. You can email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.com. .org or give us a call 866-780-9100. To start us off today, Stan Reingens is here. He is chief administrator of Keystone AEA, which serves northeastern Iowa with their main office located in Elkader. Hello, Stan. Good morning. Glad to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. And a little bit of background. Area education agencies were established in 1975. They serve all public and accredited private schools in the state. So that adds up to almost everyone in the state. Um, Stan, they, they do a lot of work in a lot of different arenas. Tell me a little bit about the, the mission of the AEAs. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So, <clears throat> excuse me, our focus is to make sure that all students, whether they attend a large urban school or a small rural school, have access to the things that they need to maximize their education and, and you know, fulfill their potential. So we really are do many, many things, but kind of look at it in three buckets. Uh, first and foremost, special education. So students who learn differently or need uh, additional support, um, the AEA steps in and works with local districts in development of individualized education plans, uh, and then has some oversight to make sure that those plans are, are implemented appropriately. We also supply a host of um, positions that an individual school district likely wouldn't be able to afford on their own. So speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, you know, a, a wide range of, of uh, professional expertise that if a student in a small district, medium-sized district, large district needs those services, uh, we're there to, to work with the districts to make sure those are provided. And that really starts at birth. Um, and so a lot of people think it starts when students hit school, but we're on the ground as, as early as the NICU if it's a if it's a known situation, and we work with uh, those families uh, up to the age of 21. So it's really birth to 21. And so special ed is probably what most folks know us for. Uh, we also provide um, instructional services or instructional support. So we work with teachers, both general ed and uh, special education teachers, to provide professional development for them, you know, as the education landscape changes and we know, you know, learn new ways of, of teaching and educating that, you know, we're often uh, working with individual teachers or buildings and, or entire districts to make sure they're sort of at cutting edge of, of best practice for, for all of their students. Uh, under instructional services, we also work closely with the Department of Ed for, um, you know, when the state rolls out new um, standards. The, often the, the AEA system helps uh, 
implement those standards or help districts with implementation of those standards. So a variety of things um, in the instructional world. And then we also have a media services division. A lot of people know us by the vans uh, that they see in their communities that say area education agency on them. And so we have a large library of, and people think of books, and that's probably where it started in the 70s, but it includes things like uh, classroom sets of robotics. It includes um, science kits, uh, as well as books and uh, apps. We do purchase of, of apps so the teachers can and students can use those apps for their, their classrooms. Uh, one of the neat things we have, too, is a, a star lab, if you will, a, a, a blow-up uh, planetarium that, that schools can check out and, you know, host in their gymnasium or a large space. Classes at a time can come in. Teachers are trained on, on how to use that material. So a lot of things at a school, uh, particularly medium and small schools, wouldn't probably be able to purchase on their own, you know, having storage for most of the year and pull out when needed. They can check that out through us. We bring them to uh, the school, drop them off for a couple of weeks, pick them back up, take them to the next school. So a, a large economy of scale there too. So large focus on special education and our, and our students who, you know, learn differently and need additional support. But we also support all students through the instructional support uh, end of things and making sure that every teacher has access to high quality, you know, professional development. Uh, and then of course, the the media things that I mentioned. So really, we like to think that all students uh have an enhanced education because of the area education agencies. Some families know that very specifically because of the support that their student receives individually, but all students receive that support in some way. I, I mentioned that there are nine AEAs, and you are up there in northeastern Iowa. You cover a pretty big region. All of the AEAs cover a pretty big region. Um, that's got to be incredibly challenging because you're you're dealing with big schools, you're dealing with small districts, and AEA specialists have to do a lot of traveling. Absolutely. So there, there are currently, as you mentioned, nine AEAs. When we were initially started, there were 15 AEAs, and so there's been some you know, condensing of those over time. So if you can envision the map, uh, Dubuque is our southern border and Riceville up in the, uh, on the Minnesota border is, a, is the northern border for Keystone. So we serve uh, all of the, the public and accredited non-public students in that footprint, about 33,000 students. Um, you know, I think maybe there's a misnomer out there. So I, I've been with the AEA system for a year and a half. Uh, before that, uh, I was the superintendent in Dubuque Community School District, so one of the urban districts, the eight largest districts in the state for a decade. Uh, and we leaned heavily into the AEA system for their support with all the things I mentioned earlier. You know, I have the opportunity to get up to, to Lansing and some into Riceville and to these small districts where maybe they'll graduate, you know, 25, 30 students in a year. And, and our, our support is vital there too. So it really cuts across, you know, large to, to small districts. Well, and, and we were talking earlier about special education. I mean, that's a, an incredibly large umbrella. I think that there are a lot of special education needs that maybe don't spring to mind for a lot of people because we have stereotypes in mind, or we think of the students with the, the greatest needs a lot of students have individual education plans who you wouldn't know that about them to look at them or interact with them in a, in a brief way. Absolutely. I think that's a, a powerful statement about Iowa education in general and, and certainly the support of the AEA system 
uh, as well. If I think back to when I graduated high school in the mid 80s, <laughs> date myself a little bit, you know, students on IEPs or receiving special education services often weren't integrated into the general education classroom. And, and today we're pretty successful in getting uh, our students into that least restrictive environment, we would call it, or into the, the general classroom for part or most or all of their education. And I think that's that seamlessness is good for all students. And I think possible because of the great districts we have, but also because of the support of the area education agencies. One of the interactions that, that I know I, I'm in the area of the Grant Wood Area Education Agency. And uh, there's a summer program for gifted students that that is a big part of the culture here in the corridor. Uh, and that's something that a lot of people don't think about with AEAs as well. So we're talking about the students with the greatest needs um, who, who might need special help in school. There are also students who are exceptional students who also need help in, in school, in staying engaged and pushing that learning further. That's part of the AEA's mission as well. That, that's a, thank you, a fantastic point and often gets overlooked is that, you know, it's, it's all of our students, right? So where they find themselves in need, whether that's for extensions and, you know, the gifted and talented pieces, whether that's for special education, whether it's a general education student, you know, we try to provide services, whether it be professional development or media are actually, uh, you know, working with directly with students. So we absolutely work with, with students uh, who, who are in that situation where they need uh, enhancements and, you know, uh, extensions to make sure they're maximizing their potential as well as students who maybe struggle. We also work closely with the community colleges with um, Future Ready. You know, we have a lot of programs. Uh, I meet with the uh, principals and superintendents regularly to talk about, you know, what is that sort of what used to be called sort of school to work? How do we put apprenticeship programs in place? How do we help students who are, are doing fine in school but don't anticipate moving on to a four year degree? What what programs are available while they're in high school and then post high school to uh you know, get them those certifications or the the skills that they need for for their success in, in a career. So really runs the gamut from, <clears throat> excuse me, our special education students to our gifted and talented to everybody in the middle. We also have a lot of Iowans who are new to the country. Their children may not speak English um, and, and are learning it. Do you work with those families as well? Absolutely. So we, we have uh, some collaborations that go on. You know, a lot of what we do is, is provide collaboration and then best practice learning for districts. And so uh, schools work. So sometimes we work individually with the school, right, if they have a large population. But, you know, in some of our smaller districts, they might have, you know, five or six students or one teacher. You know, so how do we build collaboration opportunities in those smaller districts and then provide them with the, the information, the the help in purchasing the right um, tutorials or products that, that help uh, students you know, learn the language to, so they can be successful. So, yeah, it, it really truly is all students across the system. And it's all students across the system, but often the students or the students' families may not know that the services are coming from the AEA. Absolutely. So, you know, I have three children, um, two of which probably as a parent, if I weren't involved in the education system, wouldn't have known how their classroom teacher was provided professional development or the materials they used came through the AEA. If I weren't in education, I wouldn't know that. Uh, I have one son who was on an IEP and, and then eventually a 504. And I knew very specifically the AEA interaction because sure. I was in the meetings with those folks. So yeah, many, many folks 
don't know that the educational opportunities that their sons and daughters have is enhanced greatly by what the area education agencies do. Stan, stay with us. Uh, We're going to dive into an individual story in just a moment and talk about how one student in particular is being served by the AEA in their area of the state. But Stan is going to come back later on in the show. He is chief administrator of Keystone AEA, which serves northeastern Iowa. Their main office is located in El Cater. We are talking about area education agencies this hour on Talk of Iowa. We do know that the Iowa legislator, legislature is planning to do a thorough audit of the AEAs in Iowa during this session. We will be covering that audit, of course, but this hour we're talking about how AEAs serve Iowa. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. In the upcoming legislative session, Iowa Republicans have pledged to do a thorough audit of Iowa's area education agencies. On IPR, we will be covering that audit and its findings. But today, we're talking about the role of AEAs in Iowa schools and the lives of Iowans. There are nine AEAs in the state, and for those who don't interact with them directly, much of the work they do can be invisible. I've been talking with Stan Reingens, chief administrator of Keystone AEA, and he will rejoin the conversation later on. But now we're going to focus on the support received by one specific child, Connor Jenis. He is a kindergartner at South O'Brien Elementary School in Primgar. I'll talk with Connor's mom and the speech-language pathologist at his AEA in a moment, but we're starting with his teacher, Janie Rushton, who teaches kindergarten in Primgar. Hello, Janie. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. And you've been teaching now for seven years, right? Yep. Yep. This is my seventh year. So I I know a lot goes into being a kindergarten teacher, but can you tell me a little bit about how you interact with Northwest AEA and in some of the ways that they support you? Yep. So we use the AEA a lot, especially for our speech department, Um, especially at our age, being in kindergarten. A lot of our sounds that the kids come in with sometimes are a little bit Um, misunderstood and so parents or teachers might have concerns with speech sounds and so we use the AEA um, a lot with speech for sure Um, getting the kids whether they're developmental or something they need to have an intervention with to get them with their sounds correctly so then they can use their correct sounds to make um, their letter sounds and then eventually get that into reading. So we we will talk, uh, and we have been talking about a lot of the support that AEAs do in the area of special education. You're talking about neurotypical kids who just have some speech delays. This is a pretty essential service that they, they provide. Yes, definitely. And like I said, a lot of times most of the kids can be corrected with a short intervention, and sometimes they might need a little bit more with um, getting on an IEP 
to have more services for a longer period of time to fix some of their errors. So, All right. An IEP, that's an individualized education plan, and there's a yep. whole, whole lot that goes into those. So <laughs> yes. Connor Jenis, um, his family had been working with the AEA before he was your student. He is a student with a language delay. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how that worked. For you, when Connor came into your class and the AEA had already been working with him, what kind of information did you get? Um, Because he was already on an IEP with the AEA, he got to start his speech um, intervention and work time with our um, speech helper at our school right away when school started. So that also is a huge help. Um, If they're not already in speech, then it takes a little bit of time. We have to do a little bit of a longer process before they can get going right away at the beginning of school. So having him already on that before he came into kindergarten was awesome because he could start right away and get back going into learning and focusing on his correct sounds that he needs to be working on. Now, I have a little insider information on this process because my son also had speech therapy when he was in elementary school, as many children do. So Tell me a little bit about how that works for Connor on a daily basis in the classroom. How how often does he leave class and and work with the speech pathologist? So Connor leaves um, two times a week, sometimes three, depending on how our week works and how our um, time works with our speech teacher from the AA. And he goes for about, um, some days it's about 10 minutes and it can go up to 20. Kind of depends on how many minutes each child has. So he misses about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes of um, class time, and he he adjusts really well to that, so it works out fine for us for him to do that. And then he goes up and he gets his individualized learning and speech sounds, and then he'll come back to the class, and then we reiterate all those same skills he learns with the speech in the classroom as well. So. Okay. So how many kids mm-hmm. do you have in your class? I have 23 this year. Wow, I'm sure I'm sure that's a pretty exciting classroom at times. Yes, very busy. Yeah, how many of the kids are doing uh, speech therapy? In my classroom alone, I have um, two kids on a speech IEP right now, and then three others who are on um, kind of an intervention plan who we met with a speech pathologist, and then she kind of decides if there is something that can be just done as an intervention or if it needs to be moved further. So in, a, in my class alone, I have five kids that have used the speech services. Wow. And of course, with that many kids in your class, there's no way that you could be providing this support without the AEA. Correct. I can only do so much, especially at our level, being in kindergarten with one-on-one time is really hard at our age. So having their own time out of the room in a quiet room um, really helps them. I help in the classroom, but we don't get the one-on-one time like we would love to have. Right, right. I'm sure every teacher wishes they they had that yeah. kind of time or that small a class. Um, so for people who have never interacted with the AEA or at least don't know that they have, what do you think Iowans need to know? Um, I think Iowans need to know how much they are useful in the school. I do think a lot of people, even school employees as well, don't realize that they're through the AA and just think that our school has them. And so, like, even I was talking to one of the paras today, and she didn't even realize that our speech pathologist was hired through the AA. She thought she was just hired through the school. 
And so even people who work at the school don't realize that. Wow. And I think it's very important that we keep them because we don't have, like I myself do not have time to do the interventions needed for these kids to get their sounds corrected, which will affect them long-term with reading and their letter sounds and stuff like that, which we don't want. So that's why we try to hit it at a young age. Janie, thank you so much for talking with me. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. Janie Rushton teaches kindergarten in Primgar in northwest Iowa. We've been talking about Connor Jenis, and his mom, Mackenzie Jenis, is here now as well. Hello, Mackenzie. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Now, Connor's your oldest, right? He is my oldest, yep. And you have three kids? Three kids, yes. Wow. And you're also vice president at Stanborn Savings Bank. So you've got a very, very busy family there. Um, Take us back in time. You were a family that interacted with the AEA before Connor started at school. Tell me when you first made contact and why. Um, So I guess I have a bit of a long history with AEA. Uh, My mom actually has worked there for many years, um, but also my husband, um, received services from the AEA from the time that he was around three or four up until he was a sophomore in high school. Um, So we're familiar with the AEA um, in that regard. Um, And yeah, so we, we uh, have had a history with the AEA, a positive history with the AEA. And um, once our son started to show some delays in his speech, um, it just came up that maybe that was an option for us. So, right. So you you were a family that was aware that these services were out there. I know a lot of yep. families don't necessarily know that the services are out there, and they they make that yep. connection through daycare providers or preschool yep. or things like that. So, what were you observing in Connor that that made you think, okay, we need to reach out to someone? Um, even as a baby, um, he just he didn't seem interested in talking, really. Um, He was more interested in um, the physical aspect of anything. So um, it it took him a while to begin talking. And even when he did, um, it wasn't easy to understand him. Um, And as time went on, we became more aware of what he was saying. But we noticed that other people couldn't understand what he was saying. So we were translating a lot. Sure. Um, and yeah, so as, as he got older, it became more apparent, you know, as they're little, it's like, oh, well, you know, they'll, they're just little, they'll grow out of it and stuff. But as he got into school, into preschool, um, we were much more aware that we were having to translate a lot. And um, that was obviously an issue. So you did reach out for help. And I want to bring Heidi Farquhar into the conversation now as well. She is a speech language pathologist at Northwest AEA, and she's been working with Connor. Hello, Heidi. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. And and you've been a speech language pathologist for 22 years. This is your fifth year with the AEA. And I want to talk more generally about the work you do in a little while. But right now, let's focus on Connor. When did you first start working with him? Oh, Connor, I met Connor when, correct me if I'm wrong, Mackenzie, we met um, and started first um, noticing that Connor was struggling with speech sounds when he was in four-year-old preschool. Yep. And, yep, and it was towards kind of the end of the school year, and we were trying to do an intervention, 
And we thought, let's just give it the summer, see how he's doing. And then when he was in what we call it South O'Brien Transitional Kindergarten, um, I was like, reached out to Connor's parents, Mackenzie and Ryan. And I was like, I think we need to get him on a regular schedule with me. So we moved toward putting him on a speech IEP then in transitional or TK um, when he was in school. And so getting him on a regular schedule, how often at that point were you working with him? Um, at, Connor comes and sees me twice a week for about 15 minutes at a time. Um, you know, we our, our schedule depends on, you know, activities and what throughout the school, but there's a certain amount of time that I see him every month and he comes out and we work on his targeted sound that we may be addressing at that time and play games and try to make it as fun as possible and get them talking clearly and intelligibly. And then Mackenzie, do you get a little bit of homework from Heidi, things that you can work on around the house as well? She has given us, yes, she's given us some great things and great ways to work with him on things. But Connor just loves Miss Heidi and I get to hear about it every day that he um, sees her. <laughs> so that's, it's something that he really enjoys. And let me get your impression first, Mackenzie, and then uh, Heidi, you can give me your professional opinion. But Mackenzie, how, how have you seen things progress? Uh, it's been night and day difference from the time that he's actually started on IEP and working with Miss Heidi consistently. It's, it's completely changed. You, we no longer have to try to decipher what he's saying. Um, he's not getting upset all the time when we don't understand what he's saying. He's able to um, let everybody know exactly what he's meaning. Um, so it's, it's just been a night and day difference. And at this point, you almost wouldn't even have any idea that he ever had a delay. Oh, wow. And Heidi, so you're still working with Connor. Um, How long do you think that that this kind of therapy will continue to be beneficial for him? Well, Connor's been a little rock star and and has done very, very well. Um, I would say right now, we're just fine tuning up a few sounds for him. But overall, he's very close to meeting his goal. And he will not need me long term throughout his school career, which is, you know, always, a always goal. the goal, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, Mackenzie, obviously, he loves his time with with Heidi. Yeah. Now, there's a good chance he won't even remember this part of his educational <laughs> journey. <laughs> but that's that's okay. That's how how growing up is. Um, so uh, before I let you go, what are what are some final thoughts? I mean, you've you've seen this benefit your child in such a positive way. And you, you mentioned his frustration. And I think that that's one of the hardest things for a parent to watch their child struggle to communicate. Yes, it that was always something that was really hard. And the thought of him being at school and feeling that frustrated because people are understanding him was something that was just heartbreaking. Um, so, you know, we live in a small community, very small. I mean, our, our town is only not even 900 people and the communities around us are small. For us to be able to receive services like this, we would have to travel at least 30 minutes. And that's assuming that any speech pathologists have openings or anything like that. So we would 
at the very least be traveling 30 minutes to get any sort of help for him had this not been a service that was provided um, by the AEA, which would mean obviously time off work, time out of school, um, all all the things. Um, or but, or the need not getting met. Yes. Or, yeah, w- exactly. Because would we have even um, sought out intervention at this point for him? Um, probably not, because we we wouldn't have even probably known or had the resources to do so. Um, so he would likely still be struggling and likely still be um, struggling in other areas of school because of that. Uh, so it just, we, I, I don't know what we would do without, um, having that opportunity to work with Heidi, um, because it's, it's going to benefit him for the rest of his life, really. Mackenzie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. No problem. (laughs) Mackenzie Jenis of Primgar. We've been talking about her oldest child, Connor Jenis, and his speech language therapy at school through the AEA in that area. Heidi Farquhar is a speech language pathologist who's working with Connor. And Heidi, I hope you'll stay with us. We have just a moment before we get to the break. But, uh, you know, Connor will soon graduate from your services. And with a lot of students, that's your goal, to work with them for a brief period and they'll probably never come back to your office after that. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's always the goal. But if they need me longer and, you know, they qualify and there's an educational need for our services, we will always continue to serve them in, you know, the best way possible to help them reach their full potential. I I know a lot of people hear, you know, some of the the speech problems that small children have, and some of them are are just because they're small and they will grow out of them. But there are a lot of kids that are not going to outgrow the Mm -hmm. the speech challenges that they have without help, aren't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's going to some that will always experience lifelong difficulties communicating. But there's many different avenues that we can um, pursue to help them find some form of meaningful communication. And and some of those minor problems, even if it doesn't necessarily impact their ability to communicate with others, there can be other impacts as far as thinking about teasing from, from other students or even impacting their professional careers later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are going to take a short break. We'll be back. Uh, Heidi, stay with us. Heidi Farquhar is a speech-language pathologist at Northwest AEA. We've been talking about her work with Connor Jenis up in Primgar, but we're going to talk more generally about the work that she does. We will meet another parent whose child uh, has been benefiting from services, this time from Heartland AEA in the central part of the state. And we'll also have Stan Reingens back yet from Keystone AEA. You're welcome to join the conversation as well. Have you depended on services from the AEA in your area? You can tell us your story. Send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org or you can give us a call 866-780-9100. This is Talk of Iowa. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about area education agencies in Iowa. There are nine of them around the state. And for a lot of people... They're kind of an invisible part of our school system. But these AEAs were established in 1975. They serve all public and all accredited private schools. So they have services available pretty much for all Iowans. And some of those services start at birth and go to the age of 21, depending on the student at need. So we'll talk with a mother who has a daughter who has Receive services from Heartland AEA in just a moment. And then coming up, uh, we'll circle back to talk with the chief administrator of Keystone AEA. But right now, I, I want to spend a few more minutes with Heidi Farquhar. She's the speech-language pathologist at Northwest AEA. And as I mentioned earlier, she's been a speech-language pathologist for 22 years and has been with the AEA for five years. Heidi, before I let you go, we were talking specifically about your services with one child. But can you tell me a little bit about what a week is like for you? Because you are working in a very large region and, and I'm sure going to a lot of different schools. Yeah. Um, so, well, given on any given week, um, I can be in three different school districts and I, I think when I counted up last, I could, I, I cover eight different buildings. So if you think about it, we're very rural where we are at, at South O'Brien. Um, you know, we're pretty rural up here in the northwest corner of the state. So I do see some wind chilled time um, going to different school districts. But, you know, I'm not in every building every district every day we can plan our schedule how you know based on what the needs of the kids are and we get to plan you know how that all fits best into our work week but yeah um (laughs) it sounds like a lot more than you know for the amount of kids that I serve but yeah it's a large area absolutely how many speech language pathologists work with northwest AEA um I believe we are in I think we're like around 43, 44 SLPs right now at Northwest AEA. I might be off a little bit on my numbers, but we're in the 40s for sure. Right. And yes. give me an idea of, of what the need is for speech therapy with students. A lot of kids need these services, right? They do. They do. And, you know, I guess if anyone is thinking about going into that career, I think you'll always have good job security because there's always a need. Um, you know, kids have speech delays. We have children born with, you know, disabilities that need speech. Um, it's, there's always going to be a need for it, um, you know, in the educational field, medical field and whatnot. So, And you're working with such a wide variety of students. I I mentioned that my son had speech therapy, had a little trouble with his S sound and, Uh uh, you know, worked on that for a while. And and then it got better. That's something that would have persisted into adulthood had he not had that work. So that's a pretty minor (laughs) kind of situation. But you're also helping students who really couldn't communicate without your help. Oh, yes. We have children who are on the autism spectrum, which can have a varying level of verbal um, and nonverbal communication. Um, You know, we might work on communicating with them through pictures. We might work with them using um, speech generating devices like 
tablets that they put, you know, touch a picture and it speaks for them, um, you know, helping them learn and navigate to operate those. Um, just a wide variety of ways that we can help kids learn to communicate to the best of their abilities. How old is your oldest student right now? Um, I believe 14 okay. is the oldest that I have. And then I serve preschool through 12th grade in the districts that I cover. Heidi, thank you so much for telling us about your work. No problem. Heidi, thank you. Yeah, Heidi Farquhar is a speech-language pathologist at Northwest AEA. This hour, we're talking about the work that area education agencies do. It's a lot of different kinds of work. My next guest is Heather Seaver. She lives in central Iowa with her daughter, Rowan, who's a first grader who has Smith... I, and I may not say this right, Heather. Um, it's a rare genetic condition. smith magenis syndrome? McGinnis syndrome and has uh, gotten a lot of support from Heartland AEA. Heather, tell me a little bit about where your story starts when when Rowan was born. Yeah, so I actually um, grew up in the state of Iowa and I apologize. My voice is trying to give up on me today. Um, But we moved up to Minnesota, which is where we had Rowan. And by seven months of age, we knew something was going on. So I actually quit my job in the, uh, as a nurse, and we ended up settling back down in Iowa. It was then that the AEA actually came into our home and helped us work with Rowan. So her, her diagnosis is extremely rare. She does have global developmental delays, which basically means she kind of needs help across the board. So when she was little, she was delayed in speech, walking, eating, sleeping and behavior. So the AA actually came into the home before we could even get a diagnosis and they brought in walking devices. They brought in communication devices and they also even brought in abdominal binders to help support speech. So they bring in the equipment to help them progress and leave it in the home for you and teach you what to do to help progress them early. Um, And as a nurse, I know that earlier intervention is critical and proven. And so they close that gap Um, even for me as a nurse, this was above my head and they really did come in and help us get her started and prepared. And she was able to start preschool and kindergarten on time. Um, and some of the services she no longer requires because of what they did for us. Wow. Um, tell me as she has grown, how has that help changed? Yeah. So she, um, she was delayed. I kind of estimated around like two years behind in general things like walking and, and speech and that type of stuff. Um, but Rowan uh, no longer needs any assistive walking devices. Um, she is running around, jumping on everything, going down slides. She has sensory disorders as well. So even going down a slide or sitting on a swing was very, very scary to her. And she's overcome all these things. The AA um, physical therapist who was working with her no longer Um, has to work with her anymore, as well as occupational therapy. She does still require speech. Um, They really help her with communication. She did start verbally communicating about a year ago. Again, I've heard some of the other moms talk about how it's difficult to understand. So the AEA actually works with the teachers as well on different ways to assess, to test, to use technology to help give a voice to your child. So um, Rowan is able to communicate in multiple different ways to help make sure that the teachers understand and know how to teach her. 
With services that are outside the purview of the AEA, you've also had help from the AEA in navigating some of those needs? Yes. So I thank you for um, calling that out. This is something that I think is very difficult um, early on. So even as a medical professional, um, the system itself is very complex. So they did help support some social work services to help us figure out how to navigate a very complex system that has significant access delays for services. So I know a lot of parents um, have been trying to get um, waivers, you know, intellectual disability waivers or things that will help provide care for them long term. Um, And they really helped us get get through that system. I know there are a lot of families that are still waiting um, after many years to get that support. You did have a challenge trying to get a, a speaking device that Rowan needed. Tell me a little bit about that. I did. So actually, um, this is part of um, some of the the government coverage. You know, once she got on her waiver, um, there were some barriers to them getting the communication device out, um, which were pretty trivial barriers. um, And I couldn't get a hold of anybody to help get the device to the house. There was a six month wait period. So the AEA actually provided an alternative one until we could get that in our hands. But I did reach out to our legislators, which is why I'm so passionate about working directly with the government um, in the state to to help us. They do help us. And um, this was a few years back, but um, Senator Lowe's actually helped reach out to this organization and the device showed up the next day. You contacted us because this is something that that you're really concerned about. Obviously, the AEA has been a lifeline for your family. You're going to continue to need services for Rowan as she grows and develops and and hopefully continues to thrive as well. Um, We know that the legislature will be doing an audit of the AEAs. What are your concerns at this point? Why why does this scare you? Yeah, so I think... This is this is something that's actually been happening over many decades. It's been slower, and now the the thirty million dollar cut that did pass in the last legislative session that cuts special education funding is so significant. And now, um, at the start of this year for the next legislative sessions, this is why we're all here talking about the AEA because they're the ones that are being audited to try to either absorb that group into. Um, the Department of Education, which will reduce services further or um, impact the services that they're able to provide to our children. So I'm very passionate about this. I want the community to pay attention as we're going through this and write to the legislators. But just so people understand, um, over the last two decades, there's been an average of a $7.5 million cut to our special education funding. Um, And that might seem like a lot on paper, but actually it's enough to kind of go under the public eye. You know, we can adapt to that cut for a state, but now this has been going on for so long. um, And this has been happening for so long that the schools actually back in 2016 started to speak up about this because there were so many service needs that were growing while we continued to cut these services. And now this past legislative session, we just took another 30 million. We have to keep the AEA in our schools. This is critical for everyone. Um, Anywhere from even kids who are thriving in school, but have maybe one thing they're struggling with, like reading or math. This is the group that closes the gaps in all of our kids. Heather Severs, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
Heather Seavers lives in central Iowa. Her daughter, Rowan, is a first grader, and they've received a great deal of support from Heartland AEA, working with Rowan, who has a very rare genetic condition. And this whole hour, we've been talking about AEAs and what they do. We're going to go back now to Stan Reingens, chief administrator of the Keystone AEA. And as as we just heard Heather say, I mean, this conversation was prompted because the legislature is planning to do an audit of the AEA. She was referring to uh, the cut that the AEA budgets received right at the end of the legislative session last year. And there you can... Uh, you can kind of quibble over whether that was a, a true cut or not, but they were told that they were going to get the same 3% increase in public as public schools in their funding. And then right at the end of the legislative session, that was cut to a 0.4 increase uh, well into the budget cycle. So uh, a lot of people do characterize that as a $30 million cut. Um, tell me a little bit, Stan, I mean, as, as a chief administrator, what are your concerns? Well, our concerns are, you know, listening to the, the stories you just had on, those are great examples of individuals who really had access to an organization that was uh, been a great relationship with. It was locally, you know, in the sense that there are nine AEAs, uh, able to have relationships that are, are productive and really bring the full force of the agency to the support of an individual student or classroom or district. So we're concerned about, um, you know, reducing the number of AEAs, if that should happen, how do you create those those additional, or those relationships, how do you keep those intact? Uh, we're also concerned about, you know, as was mentioned by uh, one of the parents about um, the availability, especially in a small community. But I would tell you that in medium and large communities, that, that availability is also an issue. So it, we just need to make sure we're funded to the point where we have the speech language pathologist, the occupational therapist, the physical therapist. You know, if you think about those job titles, we're obviously competing with um, many entities, uh, medical entities, other things for those for those professionals. So we need to be funded in a way that we can still you know, maintain that uh, uh, that appropriate staff so that there isn't a long wait. You know, I hear uh, the parent mentioned a six month wait in some case from an outside agency or for equipment that just can't happen for kids. And, you know, in our current state, we're able to to be on the ground quickly and support families and and students and teachers uh, quickly. And additional reductions could certainly uh, impact that. You know, certainly we'll do everything we can to keep that uh, impact from happening. But that that would certainly be a concern for us because, you know, as service agencies, eighty to eighty two percent of all of our funding goes into people, right? So that we have those people available to respond, and so. Eventually, um, you know that eighty-two percent of, of a smaller number uh, create could impact uh, services. Uh, some of the the criticisms and concerns that we've heard from legislators uh, about the AEAs have, have been with regard to what they call mission creep or or mm -hmm. bloating of these services. How do you respond to that? Well, I, I think sometimes it comes from not understanding sort of what how that happened. Right. So if you look at where we were in 1975 versus the services we provide today, of course, that's grown. Right. Um, we know more. So we do more. We have students with, a, a, you know, diagnoses that maybe didn't happen in the in the mid 70s. But we also have in the legislation not only the three pillars that I talked about before with special education, instructional support services and media, but there's also um, language in there that if 60 percent of the, the school 
districts in a particular AEA would like a service added or changed, you know, that comes to, to the AEA board and we are uh, controlled by uh, an elected board, much like a school district is, uh, to consider those. And so some of those additions have come at the request of local school districts. And so they might look slightly different in Northeast Iowa versus Southwest Iowa based on the needs of those districts. Um, and so that's led to part of it. We do work uh, with the Department of Ed closely. We've had a great relationship historically with them. And so it's not uncommon for the Department of Ed to reach out to us and and ask for their for our help uh, or require our help uh, in in new initiatives that they might have. So whether it's a change in in standards or alignment uh, with the with the standardized testing, or they recently added a new what's called the Achieve system, which is a special education reporting system that all uh, schools use to report special education data. And so the the rollout of that really came uh, on the hands of of the. Uh, uh, the AEA system. We also have and Stan, uh, I'm, trauma I'm, support teams. I'm sorry, but uh, trauma support teams so important uh, even today in the state of yeah. Iowa. But we are, we are out of time. Stan Rangens, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Appreciate Stan, the opportunity. Stan Rangens is the chief administrator of Keystone AEA, which serves northwestern Iowa. The legislative session this year, they've pledged to do a thorough audit of Iowa's area education agencies. And of course, IPR will do coverage of that throughout the audit and its findings as well. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe.